Well, this morning, let's go to Galatians chapter number 5, and verse number 19, 20, and 21. There are so many wonderful themes in the scripture. So many wonderful themes of grace and love and faithfulness. I love spending time talking about those things. Today is not a happy theme, I'm sorry to say. It's a dark theme. It's it's the dark end of the cemetery, as I'm going to call it, because we've been looking at a motif that included tombstones, right? These words that we read in verse 19 through 21 are the deeds of the flesh. It says the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to look at uh, the list primarily sitting in verse number 20, It spills a little into verse number 21 as well. But let's first talk to our Lord about it. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today with our Bibles open in front of us and our hearts open for your teaching, there is so much we need to learn and you've been so patient with us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, as we read these words as well and as we might feel some conviction in some of these things, that's your loving Holy Spirit who's at work in our heart. That confirms once again how much you love us, that you will not leave us here, but you would do your great work to make us more and more and more like your Son. And we long for that day when we will stand in his presence and be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Thank you for your word today, Lord, though it is hard, though it is dark. We're not alone in this passage, for you are with us, and you are teaching us. And we count on that even now as we go into it. We pray your blessing on the word. May it impact our lives, and may we be different people now, because we spend this time with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In this little section that we're working through here, we have four different parts of this passage. And if you will, they're pictured like four different areas of a cemetery. There's the lust of, uh, the sins of lust in verse number 19. And there are particular tombstones that say immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Last week we talked about another set called idolatry and witchcraft from verse number 20. Today we're going into this one that um, has been labeled a lot of different ways. The sins of temper is one that sits before me, and perhaps just by hearing that word you're starting to uh, slide a little bit down under the pew in front of you. The sins of temper. There's a great number of them. There's eight in this department here in verse number 20, and into the verse, first word of verse number 21. And then there's the sins of appetite. We're going to deal with that a little bit later. But using that concept, uh, in verse number 19, the first set were 
what they might call the dirty tombstones. And then the witchcraft and sorcery were the creepy tombstones. And I'm not sure what to call this one. This one on temper. You could call it dangerous. Dangerous tombstones. You could call them angry tombstones. Angry. You could call them tragic tombstones as well. As uh, I've shared with you before, I seem to uh, enjoy very much uh, a nice afternoon walk in a cemetery that I've never been in before, and, and even those I have. Walk through and, and read the stones and the, the information etched on the surface of the stone. You know, even that information usually says some sort of a story. For example, many of you would be uh, quick to draw a conclusion. If you saw a stone in a cemetery and it said, so-and-so, uh, private first class, and the year of his death was 1944, what would you think right away? He was one in World War II that was probably gave his life to this country. And you'd probably stop there and say, I, I wonder if that's the case here. Especially if he's about 21 years old, huh? And you'd stop and you'd think about that a bit, wouldn't you? You don't know anything else about him except what is on the surface of that stone. When we lived in uh, Birmingham, we actually lived uh, about 20 miles south of the city in, in a beautiful country, part uh, of the county there. And you had to take a country road down to our home, and there were beautiful trees lining the road. It was a gorgeous road to drive down. And, and um, it wasn't long after we had lived there that we noticed about a quarter, from the mi- a quarter of a mile from the house, there was a cemetery tucked in off the side of the road there. It was back behind the trees a bit, but we noticed there was an archway over a, uh, a gravel road that went back in there. And we thought... That looks like a good place to walk. And we did one day. We walked down into that cemetery to look. And it wasn't very large. It was a little bit bigger maybe perhaps than our Hillsdale Cemetery. But as we walked around and looked at the stones, not knowing a single name on any one of those, there was one that caught my attention. There was a stone there that uh, was for a lady. She was somewhere in her 20s, mid-20s perhaps. But but. There was a stone in the date of the death, and I add up the numbers, and I said, oh, she was awfully young. And then there was two stones next to it of very small children, and all three of them had the same date of death. That makes you stop and wonder, doesn't it? And you say, oh, my. What would cause such a thing like that? Uh, A mother and, and two children. Some, some sort of tragic story must be behind that stone. Must be. Now I bring you that this morning because the tour that we have today in this center of the deeds of the flesh here, they are tragic stories behind each and every word here. Um, not only will we investigate the words that we see, which are enmities, Strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies. But they also come with victims. These are not really sins done in isolation, now are they? They're not individual acts. They are are acts 
of anger that bring other people in. You can be sure that any time one of these stones are set up, there are several other stones placed beside it, victims of that one act. The words before us, there are eight of them. But I find this interesting as you look at them, enmity, strife, and if you have a King James, you're seeing the words hatred and variance and emulation and wrath and strife, seditions, heresies. <laughs> the only word in common is envy. And that's the last word of that list. You see these, and yet if you look close enough, you'll see this. There's a principal characteristic true of every one of them, and it has to do with the word self. Self. It's a manifestation of self-centeredness. Selfishness. Actually, that's true of all sin, isn't it? But it seems that these ones particularly show that. They particularly show that. I wonder, and again, I, I try to read stories into things from the information I have. I wonder if these are the very things that Paul observed of the Galatian church. As he was writing to them and, and uh, instructing them, he started with a warning. Remember the warning? It was back in verse number 15. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you do not consume one another. Does that sound like some sort of a problem is back there? Biting, devouring, consuming? Nothing on this list that we look at says, I love my neighbor, does it? Not one of these things say, through love, serve one another. And yet that's exactly what he started with. When he said at the end of verse number 15, but through love serve, or 13, sorry, sorry, through love serve one another. And in verse 14 he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are what we're called to, but more times than not in verse 13 we do the very same thing. We turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I honestly don't like this section, but we have to go through it. We have to see these things. We, we actually have to uh, understand, because these things come so easily for us, don't they? I don't know how any of us could walk away without saying, oh, that touched something in my life. They're just so common for us. Matter of fact, they're, they're so common in our day and age that the world has a general excuse for it. But what we need to understand are these are the things that are offensive to our God. They're offensive to our God and we need His perspective and, and we need His attitude and we need His character, don't we? Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to what? Anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Now, I, I told you these stones have that common characteristic of self here. They also do have that common characteristic of anger in this section. I'm, I'm going to separate them today because there's so much to it, and I, I don't want to overwhelm today. And break it down into a couple of subsets, okay? Subsets. Uh, 
there, there seems to be a group that are better clustered in what we might call jealousy department. All right? There are several of those that include the word jealousy, the word disputes, the word dissension, uh, faction, and envy. Those are generally all that fit together in a jealousy cluster. So I'm going to save that for next week. Now you have something to look forward to next week. <laughs> you know what's coming. Uh, but this group I want to work on today, really only there's three in its cluster, that angry cluster, if you will, enmities, strife, and outburst of anger. This tombstone called anger, we're going to approach right now. But as we walk toward it, let, let's listen to some words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And you've heard these passages before, but listen carefully. When, when we're taught about anger, we're taught how destructive it is. And in Proverbs 12:16, it says, A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. And Proverbs 29, verse 8 says, Scorners set a city ablaze, but the wise man turns away from anger. And in Proverbs 19, 19, it's a, it says, A man of great anger will bear the penalty. If you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Do we not know that? They're destructive. But there's warnings against it, too, in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How often have we been in that conversation where somebody starts the harsh words and before long, we're both doing it. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. And in Proverbs 22, 24. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. Well, those are warnings, aren't they? Then the advice is given in a couple of other passages. And listen to these carefully, because they have the same phrase in every single one of them. Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. And Proverbs 14.29 He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. What was the three words that kept coming up in those passages? Slow to anger. Isn't that the characteristic of our God? The very thing we started with is I, I talked about who he is, a God who is slow to anger. You know, God can get angry. And he does get angry. I was listening this morning to, uh, during my devotion times, to a section out of Psalm chapter 7. And the same phrase kept being said. And it wasn't in there, but the, the commentary kept bringing it up. That the Lord is angry with the wicked every single day. Really? Wow. 
He can be angry. But you know what? He's always right. Isn't he? This, this anger does not somehow negate his other qualities, his other attributes. He's a God of love. How often? All the time. He's a God of mercy. How often is he that? All the time. He is a God of righteousness. Right? All the time. And he does get angry. And it's right. Sometimes it's hard for us to come to that place to understand it fully. But he is right. There's much more to say about how anger plays a role in all this. But today, particularly, I'm talking about that anger that we have that is instigated, propelled, and inflamed by the flesh. That's the anger that's being addressed here today. There's other words that people use for this because... As God's anger is right, our anger is usually rash. Right? It's usually rash. In the book of James, when he's writing to the congregation there, in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 1, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, did you hear that? I want to say it again, that last phrase. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man. Here's what we do. We we think of anger like the sledgehammer to fix any problem. That's the final say on the issue, right? The one who wins has the loudest voice. The last word. Leave them speechless. Sledgehammer. That's the kind of anger we've known. That's the kind of thing that we have worked with. But that anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. All right, so you ready to look at the first stone? (laughs) I set you up for this, didn't I? And you said, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. All right, here we go. First stone is enmities. Enmities. That's what's etched on the surface of it. Enmities. It's ekphros is a Greek word. It means to hate. It it means you have an enemy. It means something hostile. There's a family of words, and if you will, a bunch of little tombstones right beside it. One says unfriendly, and one says adverse, and one says hurtful. And I hope you're ready for this. The next one says prejudice. We have really seen that manifested in our country over the last year and a half, haven't we? That anger that comes with such things. Cities dealing with very serious issues, I know. I'm not here to talk about social things. I'm here to talk to believers. Because this is addressed to us. We can try to put all of our thoughts against them, and and hopefully, you know, we could say, well, this isn't us, that's them. But Paul wrote to believers. Where, maybe you could help me, because I was looking for this just to, to relieve my mind a little bit. Where are we ever commended for being unfriendly? 
Have you ever found a verse that said that? Blessed are the unfriendly. <laughs> if you find one, please share it with me. Sometimes I, I would feel better about that. Uh, blessed are those who are hurtful or those who prejudge another person. I know they're not in the scripture. I think we'd like to have some sort of a loophole right here, wouldn't we? Just a little one. Just a little one. I want to read to you something and listen carefully to these words because they're hard. They're hard words. This was a comment of Charles Spurgeon's in reference to the word enmities. He said, the apostle mentions a habitual enmity, usually combined with a selfish selfish esteem of one's own person. Certain men cherish a dislike of everybody who is not of their clique, while they detest those who oppose them. They are contemptuous, ready to take offense at the weak, care little whether they give offense or not. They delight to be in minorities of one. The more wrong-headed and pugnacious they can be, the more they are in their element. Ouch! You know, as I've been reading this off, no doubt uh, we stand to look in a mirror, don't we? And I don't have to start saying, okay now folks, this is where it applies to you and me. Uh, It seems to come... Very uncomfortably, but it comes, because I know our own landscape has several tombstones like that, doesn't it? And beside those tombstones would be the victims of of our own self-esteem. That we have used this very thing in our lives, too. So we move to the second stone for a few minutes, and we see the word strife etched on it, and, and it's got a little name underneath it called variance. Which is an interesting word, by the way. Variance is, is it's not a word we use often at all. Maybe you haven't even used it for the last two days. But variance is the idea of disagreement. You say, well, that's interesting. Disagreement, what is that? Well, it's discord, for one thing. It's, it's a quarrel. It's From the Latin, it's the word we get contention. From the word in the Latin, contentio. Uh, combat, competition, are all in that department. You see, we can have differing opinions on things, and a lot of people do. A lot of people do. That's not uncommon in churches either. But this word, particularly, is this kind of word where, when it's over, there is a winner and there is a loser. That's what it aims for. Somebody will win, and someone will lose. Hold your place in Galatians. Go to Philippians for a moment. Philippians chapter number 1. You know, we, we, uh, we talk so wonderfully about the Philippian church, don't we? That wonderful Philippian church, what a great fellowship. It'd probably be an awful lot like Hillsdale Bible Church. Happy people who get together and fellowship together and and we we see that they are a great example to the world around them. Paul's always boasting on the Philippians, and rightfully so. But you know, they were not immune to strife. They were not immune to it. Here in chapter 1, verse number 27, this is how he says this passage. 
he says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind and being of the, maintaining the same love and united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Watch these words. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Oh, that's where it slips in. Doesn't it? Again, that self just stood up. Selfishness, empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Before he's done with the next two verses, he's talking about Jesus. We're to have his attitude. Now we've known fellowships over the years. Uh, strife seems to be the badge they hand out when you come into church in the morning. Here, wear this for the day. You've been in those situations, they're very uncomfortable. Hard to call it worship when that scene is going on. The very first church I was a part of, I had to learn a lot about it. And part of what I did was to walk through the neighborhood around the church. We were in the middle of a big subdivision of homes. And, and I would go and knock on the door and I'd introduce myself. I'm the pastor of the church down the street, the new pastor, and I just wanted to come and meet you. And they said, oh, that church, that always fighting that was, we should have painted it on the sign and, and I thought really is that what they're known for I was, I was in the outsider I'm looking to the church that's always fighting and then one Sunday I did see it two ladies having a disagreement in the parking lot after church one in her car the other at their car waving Bibles at each other of all things and say, I got a Bible too! And I thought, wow. We're right on a busy intersection, folks. Cars driving by. And that's what we show to the world. That's what we show. Don't be deceived about this, alright? The world knows when believers are acting like them. They know it. And you know what's even interesting about that? They condemn it for a church. They do it for themselves. But when they say, no, nah, that shouldn't be the characteristic of a church, they'll put it on the headlines if they could. I once read headlines years ago of a church in Ohio where they were carrying guns to church because of a dispute. It made the newspaper. Wow. Strife. All right. Shall we look in the mirror? Should we look in the mirror on this one? Would we have tombstones set up all over our landscape that say strife on them? Would there be little stones beside it that are the victims of our own selfishness and empty conceit? Have we done that? 
You have to stop and pause before that, don't you? So let's hit the third one. And you're thinking, well, it can't get worse. Oh, yes, it can. Outburst of anger. Thumoi is the Greek word. Thumoi is plural. This isn't one episode. This is many. Many episodes. Uh, it comes from a word thermos. And you appreciate a thermos. A good thermos that keeps your coffee hot. That's the word in the Greek that speaks of hot. Speaks of passion. It, it speaks of rage. It speaks of wrath. And here comes the definition. You ready for it? In case you're saying, well, maybe it's not as bad as all that, Pastor Bob. But here's the root word for it. Thuo is the word for butcher. To butcher. Wow. In this very act, is that not what we do? We butcher. Again, I bring you Spurgeon's comments. This is the fury of angry passion and all the madness that comes with it. He says, but one would say I have a quick temper. And his response is, aren't you a Christian? Mm-mm. Ready? So, you are bound to master this evil force, or it will ruin you. If you were a saint of God, to the very highest degree in all but this one point, it would pull you down. Indeed, at any moment, an angry spirit may make you say and do that which will cause you lifelong sorrow. I think some of us have those scars, don't we? D.L. Moody, I, I've read many of his biographies, and, and I've always enjoyed them, but I always know what's next, you know, in his life story. Because it was very, after you read two or three, you just start to know the pattern of what he went through. One of the greatest evangelists, a worldwide evangelist, going over overseas and such, and, and doing a terrific, terrific, that terrific work of evangelism. But there was one day that after one of the services, uh, some contentious man came up to him and was arguing with him. And for whatever reason, this one biographer said that Moody shoved him down the steps. And all those people standing by, especially his his closest friends looked at him and said, you know, you just ruined your ministry. Moody made things right with that man, apologized to him. They got things corrected. The Lord was very gracious. That was not the end of his ministry. But I had never read those words before, and I thought, wow, how quickly one little thing can change everything. That's the nature of this word. You see, when I say there are stones that come with victim stones alongside of it, uh, that would be especially true for outbursts of anger, wouldn't it? When I was a, a young young uh, boy, my brother played on a softball team that uh, we'd go down to the park and watch them play, and they were not believers. They were young men, 20s, early 20s maybe, and we'd like to go and watch them. There was one man having a terrible day. I don't know how you could strike out playing slow-pitch softball. He did it four times that day. 
And on the fourth time, boy, was he mad. Everyone saw it coming. He exploded. And he had a bat in his hand. And he started to, he went like that. And you know what the bench did? Everyone on his team, they ran any direction but toward him. They scattered. People in the audience scattered. Everyone went running because here he's got a bat and he's going to let it go. I remember that scene very vividly in my mind. And I read these words. And I think, yeah, how quickly that comes. How quickly that comes. And when we get there, how many people scatter? How many people hide for their lives? How many people duck because... We've seen this before. We've seen this before. We, we look at that stone there and we say, oh my. You know, it, it's got a very glossy front that you could almost see your reflection on it. Maybe we have that tombstone. Maybe we have it still. Maybe we've been building those this past week. Do we see the little victims that go along with it as well? Now, I, I bring all those before you this morning, those three, I want to set this before you in a very careful way. Because if you have those issues and you think, well, I'm going to solve those issues, I want you to understand that you're not going to get help from the flesh in dealing with these things. The flesh likes these things. They like these things. This world likes these things. Back in the 70s, they had a TV program, a series called The Incredible Hulk. Remember that one, some of you? A little guy that turned big and green. What triggered him? Anger. Rage. And you know what? As a kid, as I watched that, we were rooting for it. We wanted him to get mad. We, we just loved what came of that, that outburst that came from that, you know, we figured anger was a solution for the bad guy. Anger was a solution. And really, folks, there you have it. That is the way of the flesh. It demands its own satisfaction, doesn't it? That's what it wants. It, it doesn't, if it doesn't get what it wants, it will use force, thinking that maybe the more the rage, the, the greater the victory. So I want, to cons- I want you to consider a passage with me. It's in First Peter chapter 2, and verse number 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. says, in this 21 through 23, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Listen carefully. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, But while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What does it mean to entrust yourself to someone else? The the Greek word means to surrender. To surrender, to, to yield up. Has not God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay? You want to know he said it at least three times in Scripture? Why does he have to keep repeating that? 
Why did he tell it to the Hebrew congregation? Why did he tell it to the Roman church when it was written in Romans 12? Why did Moses say that? You know, Moses in Deuteronomy 32 is giving his very last sermon before the Lord takes him up on the mountain and and takes him home. Just before he dies, Moses is giving a sermon. The last paragraph of his sermon was about this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know what that's an issue of? It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust, is it not? To surrender to the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, I've been hurt. I've got a response. I think it will solve the problem. But I know it's not right. I'll trust you. Is that easy? Not at that time it isn't. Certainly not at that time. The passions are that strong. See, what Moses told those folks in Deuteronomy 32 was that the solution to their trouble was not in their own strength. It wasn't in their own strength. It wasn't what they could do. It's that they had to trust the Lord and they had to walk in His way. Are we any different? We're called to trust in the Lord and and walk in His way. That's what we've been studying here in Galatians, right? Walk by the Spirit. When we say walk by the Spirit, it means that I will obey Him. It means that I will trust His leadership. It means that I will be in fellowship with Him and I will seek His direction. It, It means that I will know how He works and I will have confidence in it. That's walking by the Spirit. And we're called to that. And when we walk by the Spirit, He tells us, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's your solution, folks. There's my solution. Trust the Lord. Walk in His way. Do you want to talk to Him now? We're going to prayer, and if you need to talk to Him, He's listening. He's listening. Heavenly Father, You know every single heart in this room right now. You know our deepest struggles. You know how these words have been so revealing of our own lives. I thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God. I thank you that you are a forgiving God. I thank you, Lord, that though you have all the right in the world to extinguish our very lives right now, You have given us grace. And you're not through with us. You're working in our hearts and in our lives. As we've started earlier, you're making us like Christ. And we need to follow in his steps as we walk with the Savior. Lord, please, do your work in our hearts. We need it today. If there's somebody who's especially been struggling in one of these ways, Show them how much you love them. Show them that they could trust you with all their heart. They could walk with you. You will make a difference, Lord. We're confident of that. Do your great work among us, Lord. We want to be noted, not as the church that gets angry, or the church that fights, or the church that opposes one another. But we want to be the church that reflects Jesus. Do your work in our midst. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.